Well, good morning. Morning. It's pretty good. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, well, uh, it's it's a pleasure to be in front of you this morning. We're going to continue on in the book of Romans, chapter four, um, where where Paul is going to be tackling a cultural issue this morning. Um, and even though those words were spoken years and years ago, you guys, um, it's so true for us today. And uh, and I hope that uh, I hope that your heart, your, your ears and your eyes and hearts are open to what God would teach us through that. But before that, I want to share with you a little bit of who I am. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Ryan Graydon. Um, I'm one of the uh, members here at Stonebridge Church and acting elders. Um, I'm also a camp director at a church camp called Hidden Acres. I'm the ministries director. We've been there, been there for 15 years. Um, I'm the husband of an amazing wife. We've been married 20 years this May. Um, and, and I also have four daughters. Um, in fact, that whole front row is mine right there. Just... <laughs> um, something else about me, my, my wife picks out my outfits on important occasions. See, I've got no, no ability to match. And so I always come to her and ask her if this looks okay. And I either get the nod or the, or the no, and she'll pick something out for me. Um, I, I am... Firmly, uh, I firmly believe that I could live on uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. You know, uh, right here, Amen. 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 Okay. All right, good. Um, but something else about me is I'm also a hunter. I'm an outdoorsman, and I believe we have a few pictures, uh, just a few of my, uh, my, my, uh, yeah, trophies. I'll say that. <laughs> And if you guys didn't know that about me, well, now you do. I'm a hunter. And, and actually, I'm proud to be a hunter. You see, I was brought up for years uh, understanding that whatever I harvest, I use. I'm one of those types. And if I can't use it, we don't, we don't chase it. In fact, I'm the fourth generation hunter in my family. My great-grandfather... My grandfather, my father, all hunted before me. And now me, the fourth generation and the fifth generation, my daughters spend a lot of time out in the woods during hunt season. And fall is one of those times I love most to be out in God's creation. Making memories, having little adventures with my family, and putting food on the table for us to eat. You see, for me, there's, there's something amazing about being outside and watching the, the change of the scenery, the colors, you know, we see in the fall, the, the coolness where the, the breeze changes from warm to, to cold and the smell of the fall. When I'm sitting out in the woods, these are the things that I love most. And see creation just come alive and work and move. I find myself talking to God while I'm outside in the midst of all this and recognizing just how perfectly he made all this and put it together. It's incredible. And it's during these God conversations that I, I must admit to you that I find myself actually skewing my relationship with God 
in hopes that I possibly might gain favor with him. See, let me explain. You see, every, every hunter wants a good hunt when they go out. They want a successful hunt. Some they want the big trophy. Some they just want to put meat in the freezer. Some want both, like me. But there's something, there's something strangely automatic for me. And it, and it draws me, when I'm hunting, it draws me to this thinking of, I want to please God. I want God to be happy with me so that He gives me what I desire. I know it doesn't work that way. I know that's not how it works. You see, our relationship with God is not this give and take, you know. Maybe you can relate to that in other areas of your life. Maybe it's not hunting. Maybe there's, there's moments where you go, well, i got to be good so God's happy with me. Or things are going bad so I must have upset God. He must not be happy with me. Maybe if you're honest, you and I can live. Let's talk about something maybe more familiar. How about your job? Your career? You see, most likely, part of your efforts to keep your job and not lose it is to please the person that oversees you. It's not bad to do that. I mean, it's right to want to please a supervisor or a boss or a director or whatever you might call them, working hard, gaining their respect, and recognition is not a bad thing at all. Don't get me wrong. In fact, by doing that, you are rewarded. You're actually paid for your efforts. You're able to put food on the table with that money, clothes on the back of you and your family members, you're, you're able to purchase items that you need for living. Maybe even taking a vacation. Working to please somebody for a return is not a bad thing either. I would tell this to anybody. In fact, that's how we brought our girls up. You know, your job is not given to you, it's earned. And the benefits from that job and the, the things that you receive are, hopefully, because you've worked hard. And they weren't just handed out to you. You get what you earn. How about, how about our friendships? Again, we all desire to have friends. I haven't met a person anywhere that says, I don't want them. To be known, admired, and respected by others, that's, that's a part of our DNA. And in order to have that happen, though, it takes an effort on our part. You have to know and admire and respect others. If I went up to somebody and said, hey, you should like me because I'm a great person, and you should do things for me, most likely, they would turn and walk away. I'd be left as a very lonely person. Friendships are created by people caring for others. It's, it is a give and take type of relationship. You give, you get back. You, you show respect, you earn respect. You be kind, you receive kindness, your actions 
will most likely have a reaction from somebody else. Most of the time, that's how it works. And that's how we humans are conditioned. We have to work for something. If we want it, we have to put forth the effort. But when it comes to the gospel in Jesus Christ, it works very differently. And that's what Paul is teaching to us today in chapter 4 of Romans. He's tackling a huge cultural misunderstanding. If you have your Bibles or your apps, please, uh, please read along with me. In Romans chapter 4, we're going to read the entire chapter, beginning, obviously, in verse 1. It says this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let me read that again. Abraham believed God. Believed God, and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness or right standing before God. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted or credited as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, blessed are those who law whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we see that we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Paul is getting into the cultural misconception. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are, who are not merely circumcised but also who walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Verse 13, for the promise of Abraham and his offspring, or for the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who 
are to be the heirs, faith is null and void. And the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. And be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope. He believed, Abraham believed against hope that he should be the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be, he did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised the dead, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. And raised for our justification. You see here in chapter 4, Paul is tackling some incredible truths about the gospel. <clears throat> Jewish believers in Rome wrestled with this idea of circumcision and faith. And, and, and Paul chooses to use a well-respected forefather of the Jewish nation, Abraham, to explain this. You see, now Abraham, by the time the book of Romans was written by Paul, it had roughly been 2,149 years. 2,149 years had passed since the existence of Abraham and the writing of the book of Romans. And we know the story of Abraham. He was promised to be the heir of many nations, the father of many people. And this promise was made to him when he was very old. He thought, there's no hope in me having any more children. Most of the Jewish nation can trace their existence back to this man, and that is why he's so revered, and that is why Paul chose to use him. He was using Abraham as an example to the believers in Rome because they knew and understand this, understood this person. They had, been, they had been taught about Abraham through their upbringing. And all that were of the Jewish nation, some, even some of the Gentiles understood the complete story of Abraham's life. So in order to better describe this gospel teaching, Paul wanted to use a familiar figure to show exactly 
the grace that God had for his people. And that favor, Abraham had faith that wasn't earned by acts or works or obedience to the law. In the story of Abraham, we see a man who is incredibly faithful to God, and Paul recounts that here in this passage. In verse 3, Paul points out that Abraham believed God, and it says it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed in who God was. He believed in the power of the Creator. He believed that everything in, in Abraham's existence was given to him by this, this God, and God counted or credited that to him as righteousness. When God promised that he was going to be the father of nations, Abraham didn't question. He didn't say, wait, 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 wait. That's ridiculous. I'm almost 100 years old. There's no way. He believed. Okay. If you say so, I believe that. And it was because of this level of belief in God that that Abraham's soul was counted righteous. The definition of righteousness here is to be in right standing or be approved before God, and Abraham was just that. And at this point in his relationship with mankind, because of that, God would bring Abraham to heaven at the end of his life. Again, he was counted righteous. He was counted worthy simply because of his faith. Abraham had no law to follow. In fact, the Ten Commandments wouldn't be written for hundreds of years. Abraham just had faith. Now, Paul points out something very important here, and I don't want you to miss this. You need to see it. Paul points out that Abraham's circumcision came after his faith in God was counted righteous. As a sign of his faith in God, Abraham used this, this seal of his commitment and his righteousness before God. And thus, this practice became a tradition among the Jewish nation. And then it was also assumed that it was one of the signs of salvation or right standing before God, in order to count themselves righteous before God, Jewish males were then circumcised on the eighth day of their life and, and accepted into the covenant between them and God according to mankind's standards. Man changed it. Paul is pointing out that that the practice of circumcision and saying for one of the first times that salvation is not by words, it's not by what you do. It's not extended to people because of, of who they are or, or what they abide by. He's even going as far in this passage to make it very clear that works will never result in salvation. It's a person's faith that saves them. By using the example of Abraham, all Jews and some Gentiles were able to understand what, what Paul was teaching. Works will not save you. What you do will not save you. 
It's your faith. And then Paul goes into a little more detail in the second half of this chapter. In verses 13 to 25, Paul goes deeper in the understanding of what faith is. You see, he is trying to teach people that, that faith is more than just following a set of rules and regulations to gain favor. You will not be counted righteous before God by obeying the rules. That's, that is not faith. That's rule following. He notes that people who are living a life by the law do not truly understand. He even points the law brings wrath, but where there's no law, there is no transgressions. Paul's point in teaching that is that somebody who tries to gain God's righteousness according to the law will never obtain it. They could spend their, their whole life trying to live by the list of rules, but the reality is if you if you counted your salvation according to that, you won't make it. It's impossible. There were over 600 rules to follow. All it actually does is shows you how much of a sinner you are, which is true. As well as how far you truly are for being worthy of salvation. It only stands to teach us how horrible we are as human beings. That's a great thing about the law. But Paul says if there's no law to break, who can be guilty? And that sounds a bit strange to us. It's almost as if he's saying, well, there's a loophole. But that's not what he's getting at. Paul is sharing the simplicity of the gospel. The new covenant that Jesus gave us if we only believe in him. Paul is teaching that the laws that have been around for a while by this time are not bad per se. They're not, they're not wrong to follow. However, they are not the way that salvation is obtained. Salvation is offered freely to those who believe that Jesus was the Son of God. To those that believe that he was crucified for our sins. That he died and he rose again. There is not a set of rules you have to follow to obtain or receive this promise. It's given freely. And all you need to do is believe. Which is what Abraham had. Faith. And Abraham did this in the first place, which is why God counted him as righteous. He finishes this chapter with another reminder of Abraham. When God told Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations, Abraham believed. As I said, there are no questions, no argument, no laughing, laughing. He believed. Even though his wife Sarah was, was unable to have children, this man confirmed his faith in believing 
what God said would truly happen. And you guys, when that promise was made, it was years till it was fulfilled, and still Abraham believed. Scripture says when he was about a hundred years old, he had a son. Starting parenting all over again at a hundred years old. Because we have, we can have faith just like Abraham. We too can be counted as righteous. No works. No hoops. No broken promises. No tasks to complete. By faith we are justified in Jesus' death. And if we truly believe in that, and how he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, we will be accepted before God because he knew us. So where does that leave us? What is your understanding of faith? What is my understanding of faith? We work a job because we need something. That job gives us money, covers our needs, helps us care for others. We do the works so that we receive something in return. When hunting, as I mentioned earlier, I selfishly want a certain outcome. And in order to gain that certain outcome, I default into an understanding that, that God will give that to me if I'm good and do good things. It, I know it's not right, but it... For some reason, that's where my head goes. As if I can earn a good hunt. It sounds ridiculous, I know. But where's your faith at? What's your true understanding of your faith? When times are tough, like, like these days, what are your thoughts? What do you say about God? Is He merciful? Is He gracious? Is He caring? Do we measure with some balance scale? Your God, you better be good to me and bless me because I haven't done anything wrong in a while. Or maybe, well, this is happening to me because He is mad at me. I did something awful. You honestly see life in that way a little bit? I don't think we understand the gospel fully. We don't understand who God truly is. Friends, we there's only one way that we even have a chance at salvation. It's because God gave his son Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sins. He died a death that we deserve, and because of that, it doesn't matter what has happened in the past. It doesn't matter what baggage you have. It doesn't matter what wrongs you did weeks, years ago, or even days or hours ago. No matter how undeserving you might think you are, God is still willing to give you this opportunity. It's a true statement. Our salvation calls for nothing in return. 
There's nothing that we need to do or perform or purchase, the scriptures say loudly, that it's our faith. And it's a true understanding and belief in who Jesus was that gives us the amazing opportunity for salvation by His grace. This makes our understanding of grace all the more richer. When I was about seven or eight years old, I attended Hidden Acres church camps every summer. And that summer I had a counselor named Ryan Doran. I still remember his name. I remember one night as we were settling down, getting ready for bed. Probably not settling down. Boys don't do that. Ryan walked into our cabin with this giant silver bowl of freshly popped popcorn. And, and that smell instantly filled the cabin. Butter. Popcorn. You know the smell. And when he entered the door, he, he grabbed a handful of popcorn and dramatically shoved it in his mouth. Chewing loudly. Sounds of satisfaction. Mm. And we watched. We stared. Every guy sitting on his bunk. Watching our counselor eat this delicious treat in front of us. It was as if we weren't even here. And pretty soon he turned and he went, oh! Do you guys want some? That was a stupid question. Yes, we all yelled out, yes, we want some. But it was as if he didn't even hear us. Kept eating handfuls of popcorn. I remember butter on his face. And then he turned to us again. He said, oh, wait, wait, wait. Do you want some? Yes. We said it already. We want some. Then he asked a question. He said, do you deserve it? Honestly, I didn't want to answer that question. We are a group of young boys free from our parents under the supervision of a, of a college student. And I knew that, that our general misbehavior that week did not warrant this reward. But nobody answered. Again, he asked, do you deserve this? Finally, one of the guys yelled, no. And at that moment, I thought we've lost the power. But Ryan said, that's right, you don't deserve this. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. He said, I still love you guys no matter how frustrating you've been this week. I want to give you. So we sat in the middle of that cabin, digging into this bowl of popcorn. 
as Ryan led us in a devotional that night on the topic of grace. Something we receive that in no way we deserve. That message has stuck with me for over 35 years. God's gift of salvation is the act of grace. I know it's not popcorn or a favorite treat like that, but it's so much more. True faith and belief in Jesus, of who He is, and then realizing how sinful we are. You guys, it's incredible. It's not obtained by, by pleasing Him in what we do. It's not earned. It's not found by doing a list of laws and rules. It's not a balanced game of good and evil. Truth is, we can never do this or obtain this on our own in His eyes. And knowing that a price had to be paid for sin, He showed us grace. He gave us something that we didn't deserve, and that was His Son, Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sins. Our faith has got to be something that is foundational in our understanding and belief in God. Abraham demonstrated faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul reminds us in verse 22 right here, you guys, we read it, but the words that was counted to him were not just written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Remember, this was 2,000 years later. Ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. And I will say it again, it's counted to us again 2,000 years later. Those words are so true. The promise of salvation is for those who believe, who have faith. And my prayer is that we gain a true understanding of faith. And with that, understand the gospel. Let's pray. Father, your word is a blessing. And I'm so thankful that you, despite who we are, choose to love us and redeem us. God, we don't deserve what you have given. But all you ask is faith. God, we can't gain it, we can't earn it. But we should Father, I pray that as we leave today, we would be challenged by that thought that our life is not a balancing act to please you, that, that you love us despite. God, may we live in that freedom and treasure it all the more. In Jesus' name.